Um, If you would like to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we are back in the book of Proverbs, and if, boys and girls, if you want to get your mum and dad or a grown-up who is sitting beside you to help, that's great. We're going to be in page 635 of the church Bibles, 635. Proverbs comes right at the end of the book of the Psalms, and if you ever want to find the book of the Psalms, you crack the Bible open in the middle, and nine out of ten times, it's usually in the book of the Psalms. So, book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at uh, picking up from where we left off, which is verse 8, and we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. Proverbs chapter 1, and let's hear God speak to us through his holy and his perfect word. These are words that would have been read from a father to a son in the ancient world to pass on wisdom. And so we hear this with this opening cry. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let us lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. But these men lie in wait for their own blood and they set an ambush only for themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes the way the life of those who get it. Out of the open, out of the open wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the walls, she cries out. At the city gates, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you and I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look at me, but they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they did not accept my advice and spurned at my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and will be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. This is God's word. Amen. If you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs again, uh, as I said, we're working through this book. Proverbs would have been, um, it's almost like a a father-son chat in the ancient world, um, because education would have been primarily uh, amongst men at the time. And the book of Proverbs, often we think about it as those little sayings that we rhyme off, but it's far more than that. In fact, the first 
10 chapters of it, you won't find very many of those little sayings. It's much more um, drawn out. And the idea was this was almost like a manual for sitting down with your teenage son and having a very serious chat. Um, Some of you perhaps had that. I always remember mine. Uh, My dad, we never really would have had many deep chats, but when they did happen, they always happened in one place, which was they happened in the Jeep prior to a TB test. And... uh, My dad would begin to ask me, what was I planning in the next few years? What were my long-term thoughts and visions? What was I planning to do? Had I any concerns? And we'd pray about it, and it was a wonderful time. And that's what the book of Proverbs is functioning as, that those father-son chats that take place. And we see, as we saw last week, that this father is concerned that his son will get wisdom above all things. And we said wisdom is, uh, it is having your faith in workman's clothes, knowing what to do in the right moment at the right time. It's more than being good. It's more than knowing. It's being wise in every situation and how folly is the opposite of all that. And yet, probably coming off the back of what we looked at the last time we were in Proverbs, we probably think that we would never want to be foolish. You know, none of us would ever choose to be foolish. I hope so anyway. We might be an Egypt for a wee bit of a time, but that's a very different category nearly than foolish. But in this section of the book of Proverbs, it starts off by showing just how tempting it can be to be foolish whenever we don't realize it. I just want to look at this in a few simple ways this morning. See uh, folly's enticement, folly's end, and then see wisdom's endurance. Folly's enticement, it's end, and wisdom's endurance. So Folly's enticement. If you look down with me, the first words that this father begins to speak to his son are say, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching for they are a garland to your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come with us, If you skip down, you can see the other enticements that they give, saying, cast your lot in with us. We will share all the loot together. Or as one other translation says, throw in your lot with us. We will have one common purse. Folly often begins with an enticement to just come along and fit in. I imagine so many of us think that, you know, peer pressure is something that teenagers experience but it's not something that adults experience. When in reality, we all of us, I'm sure, have been in situations where we have not wanted to be the voice of reason or wisdom because we don't want to be the wet blanket. We don't want to be the damp squid. We want to give in. I remember whenever I I worked for Bernardo's, um, we had a training day one day and um, all the staff had to come in. I think it was health and safety or uh, first aid. And it took an hour less than it was scheduled to do. And whenever we got to the end of it, somebody piped up and said, well, sure, we'll claim for the full day anyway, because that means we'll all get paid an extra hour. And one by one round the room, all these adults, grown people, began to say, oh, yeah, no, that's a great idea. That's wonderful. Let's do that. And a couple of us said, well, no, like, let's not. Let's just be honest about it. And you know all the shouts that began, oh, come on. Sure, it's only an hour. It's only something we. Sure, you're going to cause more bother in the long run for all of us. Oh, sure, come in. Sure, nobody will know. All of those familiar enticements. And eventually, 
Um, a couple of us didn't, and it caused a huge argument and a huge rupture, but we all know those sort of moments, don't we? Where it can be so easy to have the pressure to fit in. Everybody's doing it. Everybody fudges their numbers on their HMRC forms. Everybody deals a wee bit more in cash these days. Sure, nobody will know what you're doing. Nobody knows what you're doing behind the closed door. Come share in with us. Come be like us. We'll be of one purse. We'll be of one kind. Folly begins with an enticement to just come, to fit in, to join the crowd. And yet we see that they even offer something else where in verse 13 says, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Folly can often begin whenever we think we can cut a corner to get ahead, can't it? Whenever we can get away with charging a wee bit more for the work that we did than we really should. Whenever we can maybe just cut a few corners on the work that our employer's given us so that we can get the same amount of money for doing the less amount of work. There are so many things that are held out to us and it's, oh sure, it's easy. Just cut a corner here, tell a white lie there and you can have so much more. It's so tantalizing, isn't it? That's how folly begins, to hold something out before us and say, look at it, you could have so much if you would just bend the rules a little fit in, do what everyone else is doing, cut a few corners, you'll get away with it. No one will know. There's a great proverb that says that wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. We all know that to be true, don't we? But yet the temptation to want to get ahead quickly can be so enticing. In verse 22, if you look down, wisdom begins to speak herself. And she says, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? Whenever it says simple, it doesn't mean stupid. That would be a mistake here to think that whenever the Proverbs talk about being simple, they mean just people who are, um, people who are stupid. But it's, it's not that. It's that thing that we all know, which is where you just don't think. How many of us have ended up facing the consequences of one of our actions and our reaction is just to go, I didn't even think, you know, did not even think. And that's what Proverbs is warning against, that folly often begins with that line, sure, I didn't think, and we can all be enticed by it. And one commentator who I read on the run-up to this week had a great line where he said, you know, a man who is empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. Um, which we've maybe heard before, and I thought that was a great summary of it. Whenever we don't think through the consequences of our actions, it can lead to places where we are thoroughly uncomfortable. And then if you look down in the second part of that verse, verse 22b, we read, How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? Foolishness can often begin with, that little want to just join in the crowd of scoffing. There's another great proverb in Proverbs 26, verse 22, that says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels 
and they go down to the inmost parts. Isn't that something we all know to be true? That gossip, scoffing, oh, it can taste so good. That little nugget of information, that little bit of a jibe that you hear somebody say, it can be so enticing for us to swallow it whole and have it go into our inmost parts and change us, can't it? Whenever we want to join in the pylon of people in the staff room, whenever we want to share in that little nugget of knowledge that no one else quite knows yet and the feeling of superiority that comes with it, oh, they are like choice morsels, aren't they? Wisdom stands in direct contrast to this, but folly is just so enticing sometimes, isn't it? It's so enticing. And yet, folly reaches an end. If you look down with me in the first section, whenever these young men who have set out to do something wicked, the father warns them, saying that, my son, do not go along with them. Do not set your foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil, and they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. This is the thing we all know, isn't it? It can be so easy to want to cut the corners, to get ahead quickly, and not realize that in the long term, you are setting a trap for yourself. Um, whenever I was younger, we used to, one of our friends was one of the first people to win big in the lottery in, in Northern Ireland. And he did us a favor one day where he wanted to come into our farm and shoot crows. So he sat in a cattle trailer on a little, you know those plastic patio chairs that you get with a shotgun poking out the side of the cattle trailer. And he was there for five days and he shot three crows. Um, <laughs> he maintains he was doing us a favor for it. But what was the issue? The crows came in, they saw a shotgun pointing out of the side of a cattle trailer that was surprisingly parked very close to where we kept the mail. And they knew as soon as that trailer was moved, they could swoop back in again and it was completely fine. Because birds, famously of little intellect and small minds, can see a trap set before them and avoid it. But yet the fool in his folly and us when we're being foolish we can set a trap for ourselves and not even realize it. We can think we're getting ahead. I managed to get one over on somebody else by slabbering about them behind their back. And then we remember we're in Northern Ireland and actually the person we're slabbering to is their second aunt's cousin twice removed. <laughs> it can be so easy, can't it? And yet, as we read in this section of Proverbs, the end of folly is often just the consequences catching up with you that whenever they do these things, suddenly the consequences catch up with them and it costs more in the long run. I was looking up this week how much an, a, a business ethics consultant gets paid and it's 65 grand a year, which I'm not gonna lie, I would love that as a salary each year. But you have to ask yourself if, an, if, it, if businesses are going to pay somebody 65 grand a year to advise them on ethics, why would they spend all that money unless if it was better for them in the long run? There's something we all know about this. It's better to be ethical and it's better to be wise because in the long run, it pays out more. And that's what the Proverbs is trying to get, get into our heads is that 
Usually, usually, whenever you do what is right and wise, in the long run, it works out better. Usually. And we see that the end for so many people who indulge in their folly, it isn't necessarily fire and brimstone. You know, so often whenever we talk about God's judgment, we think about it in a Sodom and Gomorrah kind of way, which is the fire and brimstone raising down from heaven. But the majority of times whenever we see God's judgment talked about in the Bible, it's not that at all. It's the consequences of our own actions catching up with us. If you look down with me, it says in verse 27 that whenever these foolish people do these things, that calamity will overtake them like a storm and disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind and when distress, troubles overwhelm you. So these people don't see it coming. It suddenly arrives at their door and the writer goes on to say, they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me since they hated my knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned at my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. That is so much of what God's judgment looks like in the Bible. It's not a fire and brimstone. It's a simply giving us what we want. And then we realize the foolishness of it. Whenever God's people are carted off into exile, it's because of the foolishness of letting the Babylonians come in so that they, the Israelites could show the wondrous wealth that they had built up as a way of boasting to the world around them. So often, God's judgment is just the consequences for whenever we've been foolish. And I think that's what makes it scary because there are ways that we have all been foolish. And what I've just wanted to try and get you to see this morning is hopefully all of you are able to follow and in some way have empathy with the things that the foolish people might do. Mainly because I'm trying to use examples that I'm very familiar with doing from my own life. But hopefully we all know of ways where we have tried to do the right thing, but in the end we've actually been very foolish and we can see that now. We can all empathize with that. And I'm sure all of us can empathize with the idea that in the long run it's probably better to be ethical than it is to be unethical. We can all buy into that. And my worry is, is that whenever I've hopefully got that across into your heads, that you now think the reaction to go away from here is to think, okay, I now need to be really, really good and really, really wise and work really hard at it. But if you look at what wisdom is doing and wisdom is saying, wisdom is not telling you to work and try really, really hard at being ethical and wise. Instead, it's doing something slightly different, and this is how we see wisdom endures. Wisdom, if you look down with me, whenever she begins to speak, she doesn't say, you know, strive after me, but rather she goes to the people. She stands calling aloud in the public square and on top of the walls or at the city gates. So the idea is, is that wherever people were in the city, wisdom is crying out, crying out to everyone to hear so that nobody can go away saying that they haven't heard her, so that everyone may hear her offer. And her offer is really simple in verse 23. Repent at my rebuke. Turn to me. That's what that word repent means. It is a turning Turn from your own vain, foolish wisdom that you think you have and turn to me 
Turn to me and I will pour out my thoughts to you, or as the old 1984 NIV used to say, I will pour out my heart to you and make known to you my teachings. Wisdom begins with an offer, not of striving, but of grace. Do you notice that? Wisdom is not saying, come to my school and pay me nine grand a year in fees and you'll end up with a bachelor's of wisdom at the end. But come to me and I will give you a gift. And this is at the heart of what we know as Christians about wisdom, which is wisdom is bound up with grace and the gospel because the wisest thing that you can fathom is the gospel we see displayed through a God who spares nothing but gives his one and only son for us, who gives freely and graciously. Grace is bound up in what it means to be wise. There's some of you, that's a big sell, I know. If you maybe don't believe in God this morning, I I know some of you, that is a big sell because it sounds like what I'm, you've probably agreed with everything about the kind of, you know, you can be accidentally be foolish and then the fools often end up coming up short. But the idea that grace is bound into pure true wisdom is a big sell I know if you don't believe in God but I want you to bear with me for just a minute because if you think about it wisdom at its heart is humbling yourself to listen to the advice of others we would never say that somebody is wise if they don't listen to the advice of others sure we wouldn't and we'd say that all wisdom in some way is wanting to listen to other people's advice you know better than you and recognizing a humbling of yourself before them and realizing that they have something to offer you that they will give you for free that's at the heart of wisdom receiving some grace and some gift and you may say well that's just what we see with people but how does God fit into it well the way God fits into it is that what do you do whenever you're faced with something that you need a wisdom that no one who is in humankind can offer? What do you do whenever there is no wisdom to be found in the world and culture around you? What do you do whenever people collectively are still not able to realize something? And I want to give you an example of this, which is in 1833, the abolition of the slave trade in the UK. What allowed the abolition of the slave trade in the UK? Because if you look at it by every single metric of the culture and values of the time, it makes no sense. Whenever Britain abolished the slave trade, it cost 40% of the annual budget for the treasury. They They only finished paying it off a few years ago. Can you imagine a government spending 40% of its budget on something? And not only that, it was through the riches of slavery that the British Empire had been built. And so by freeing slaves, they were therefore not just paying to free the slaves, but they were then also stripping the resources they had used to build their empire and build that wealth to begin with away from them. So they would end up with labor shortages. They wouldn't be able to get the goods that they had been relying on to sell to other countries to build a bigger income and build uh, build a bigger empire. It was by all natures of the world, foolishness, because it cost them a huge amount and there could, they couldn't see any economic gain from it. But there was something that you and I know, which is there was a wisdom to it. Because how could people who were made in the image of God be forced to endure slavery like that? What allowed the slave trade to be abolished in the UK? was through people like John Newton and William Wilberforce. 
and a sociological phenomenon called the nonconformist conscience, which was nonconformists, so Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, evangelicals across the UK putting pressure on politicians to see slavery done away with. Led by the likes of William Wilberforce and John Newton, John Newton who would write Amazing Grace, so sweet the sound that saved a, grace, that saved a wretch like me. People who had met grace, that they were able to do something but by every other metric of the world's wisdom made no sense. That is why we need grace for true wisdom. Because it shows us the things that we cannot see with human eyes. Because it shows us a God who is gracious to his people. And if you even look at it in other situations as well, the historian Tom Holland, who's not a Christian, um, he deals mainly with classics and the transition from the Roman Empire into the medieval period. There's, there was a problem he had to overcome which he couldn't quite understand, which was how do you get from the Roman culture? And Roman culture was, like, they built nice buildings, but they weren't nice people. You know, an evening's entertainment was watching a lion eat somebody alive or club somebody else to death. How do you get from that as a culture to 200 years later seeing the rise of almshouses and hospitals and the care of the poor and needy? The only reason that Tom Holland, this agnostic historian, could give was the Christian faith thriving throughout the empire to do something that we all know is wise and godly and good. Because grace is what transforms us to do these things. We need grace and a God who freely gives so that we may turn from the foolishness of what we see of the world's wisdom and bask in the wisdom we see that God displays on the cross, where he holds nothing back for weak and needy sinners like us, but gives his very own son, not because he gets anything out of it, but simply because he delights to see sinners saved. That is the wisdom that's at work through the book of Proverbs. And that is the wisdom that we are called to walk in and follow to turn, repent from our own vain, foolish, worldly wisdom and to bask in the wisdom we see in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this wonderful, wonderful gift of free grace, that we see a wisdom that makes no sense to the world around us, where you give everything, even your son, to redeem us. Lord, would we be changed by this and renewed by this in wonderful and spirit-filled ways. For it's by the name of your beloved Son that we pray. Amen.